Just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and guests and in no way represent the state of Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Historical Society, or the Oklahoma State Historic Preservation Office. Living with ADD can be tough. If something is not found to be interesting, regardless of what it is, the ability to focus on it can be almost non-existent. At the same time, if it's interesting, hyperfocusing is typical. It can become all-encompassing. I don't just take a light interest in something, I deep dive into it, to the point of where it can be overwhelming. With this podcast, I'm going to talk about the subjects of those deep dives. Welcome to Musings of an ADD Mind. I'm your host, Jack Robertson, and these are the things that fascinate me. Welcome to the Musings of an ADD Mind podcast. This is your host, Jack, and I have the ADD Mind. Um, Joining me today is a very special guest, Debbie Munson, and it's our series of talking about people's stories of growing up in America. And Debbie is um, a Korean-American, and she's going to discuss what it was like growing up in the um, 70s and 80s you know, being of Korean descent, and if there was any sort of expectations or hatred or whatever it was that, you know, people experience in this country, and we're just going to sit and talk about that for a while. So, hello, Debbie. Well, hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on. I really appreciate it. Um, Without giving away your age, because I know that that is not proper for a fella to ask, (laughs) um, (laughs) but... But we are roughly the same age, so I know that, you know, you would have grown up in the, you know, been a child in the 70s and the 80s. Um, So where exactly, you know, did you grow up here in Oklahoma, in Montana, California? Where did, where was your majority of childhood spent? Well, I grew up in, was born and raised in northwest Kansas. So I was out there among the cow pastures and wheat fields and corn. So it was a... A town of about uh, 2,000 people. Okay. And so in your community, would you say that, was it like a large Asian community? Were you guys it? Uh, Until third grade, we were it. (laughs) And (laughs) then um, a woman um, of Japanese descent moved to town, and she had three children. One was in my class, one was a year younger than me, and one was a year older. And then I am the middle child, so I have a sister that's five years older and a brother that's five years younger. So there were the six of us. Oh, wow. <laughs> but for a long time, we were the... Um, and we had there's like a Filipino man in town, and I think we were pretty much it for racial diversity out there in farm country. Okay. And did you grow up on a farm as well, or did you like live in the city? You know, I I don't you know, mom owned a. Oh, true. We were or... town kids, but my dad uh, owned a feed and seed store, so oh, okay. we were you know, pretty closely connected with the whole farming community. And my dad was an avid weather watcher. And so we would walk home. He would come home in the evening and watch all three channels of the news coverage of what the weather was going to be. And we had, you know, thermometers all over the yard and rain gauges. So (laughs) (laughs) I I bet your dad was tickled pink when the weather channel appeared on cable. 
Absolutely. And I think back when cable first came out, there was this horrible Channel 12 that was just like different colors and it was like monotone and they would read the weather. It was terrible, but it, you could get the weather anytime there too. <laughs> <laughs> That's, well, I guess, you know, I, I guess people probably spent more time in human history watching the weather than not. I I think so. Yes. So <laughs> so you know he was he was just joining with the rest of <laughs> with the rest of history. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, I before the show started, we were talking, and you were kind of saying that you know growing up, pretty much the only thing people knew about uh, Korea was from Mash. And, yes, um, and thank goodness for that show because really I. I mean, I was born and raised in that Kansas town, so I had never lived anywhere else and have never been to Korea. So that was also maybe my perception of Korea as well. Um, mm. You know, my whole life was small town. I had, didn't even leave the state of Kansas until I was in the sixth grade, so my world was very, very small. Wow. And I just remember kids asking me, like, when I was really little, like, where my mom was from. And I would tell them Korea, and they didn't really understand what that was. And looking back, I don't know that I really understood what that was either. Right. <laughs> um, but I think being a child of the 70s, there was a lot of assumptions that, because I know I got asked if we were Vietnamese, because that was right after the Vietnam War. Right. And, like, I had no concept of what that was either, and really no concept of, of the Vietnam War. So we would get questions like that. I don't know that we were really, we really experienced any kind of negativity. My sister recalls that there was some early on when they moved to that town, but like mm -hmm. by the time I came along five years later, I don't really think that was there anymore. Okay. Well, that's, that's actually, you know, good to hear. Um, yeah. I think it was a positive upbringing. Like I grew up a military dependent, which means I grew up on military bases. So you know, I had the ultimate level of diversity because everyone was in the military and therefore they lived on, everyone lived on military bases and therefore there were children of everybody. So you just grow up, you know, in a different situation than small town Kansas. <laughs> oh yeah. Like your world was like so much larger than mine. Mine was pretty much, I was born and raised there. I hadn't left the state until I was in the sixth grade and then we just went to another farming community to visit my friend's family so my world was pretty small and um i think what was interesting about that particular part of my childhood is that i didn't realize there were so many biases and and so much prejudice against people of other uh, ethnicities and cultures because i had never seen it i'd never been around it and I was, I mean, I was just curious. I wanted to meet mm -hmm. different people and, and experience those things, but my eyes were really open when I moved to bigger cities and, and, right. and was exposed to that kind of a world. Cause I think maybe my situation is a little unique in that, you know, I think by the time I came around, everyone in my small town had pretty much already accepted my family into the community. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good though. I mean, that's, that's the way it should be. Honestly, is yeah. everyone should just like you for you, you know? Yes. Generally speaking, once you kind of get to know a person, 
you know, if they're like a giant a-hole and you shouldn't, you know, and you should dislike that person, you'll find out and they'll give you a reason. There are a lot better reasons to dislike somebody than something superficial like skin color or where their ancestors came from. Yeah. I think another interesting thing is like, until I grew up and moved away from home, I didn't realize like we ate rice almost every day. So right. <laughs> there are things I just learned as an adult. I'm like, oh, this isn't normal for everybody else. It was just normal for our household. So well, it was. My wife could eat rice every day and she's of European descent. So she would fit right in. <laughs> Well, my mom would come visit and I would have my crock pot in like the prime space on my little cart and she would put my crock pot away because I'm, I love chili. I could, mm -hmm. I could eat chili all winter long and not be upset by it. She would put that away and put the rice cooker on that place on the shelf. So. <laughs> rice. It's a great food if you want to eat 10,000 little things of the same thing. <laughs> Well, true, but I think you could like rice and the potato were a very diverse food. Um, right. But, but primarily, I think you know I I have this understanding of the Korean culture from the Kansas perspective. And growing up, I mean, people would notice I was different, obviously, and mm -hmm. and so I was always pointed out as being Korean, and so I always identified as that. And then when I got engaged, um, my husband, my fiance, and then husband, he was stationed in Korea. So I thought, well, this will be really neat. I can finally go to where I belong. Mm -hmm. And that was probably the defining moment of me thinking, no, this is not where I belong. <laughs> I was, I was a whopping 18 years old living in Seoul, Korea, and all of the Koreans there pointed me out as being an American and I'm like, wait a minute. I've always been told I'm Korean. <laughs> and now I'm in Korea and they're like, no, you're an American. Exactly. So at some point in life, you just have to decide you are you. And that's right. kind of, that was my moment. <laughs> I, I think Americans, generally speaking, when we travel abroad, it's obvious we're Americans. Cause I think there's just something about the way we, either walk or carry ourselves as a culture. Maybe. And we don't necessarily yeah. know that we do it when you're in America because we're all doing it. And I have so many people that it doesn't matter where they've gone, like Korea or Japan or, you know, somewhere in Europe and people can just look at them and be like, yeah, you're an American, you know? <laughs> so I think so. And, and then of course, at that time, my husband, you know, he, he was six foot tall. So when you are in a country where that's really tall for mm -hmm. for for someone that he, he, we were also just easy to spot. But even when I was out alone, you know, shopping or something in the markets, um, they would they would point me out as American. So I I don't know maybe the way I dressed. I don't know. I also have my dad has a very prominent eyebrow, and I think maybe most Korean women have more delicate eyebrows. So I, mm. I don't know if there were just some facial features that I have that don't quite match up. Hmm. So. I, who knows? That's. Yeah. So did you, did you grow up, did your mom ever speak Korean in the house or was, because I know a lot of time with immigrants, there's either the 
I'm an American now. We, we're going to speak English because that's the language here. But then there's also the, you know, when we're at home, I want you to know your, you know, your heritage. And this is my, the language of my homeland. Did that happen either in your house? I mean, how did, how was that for you growing up? Well, I was the second child, my sister being five years older. And my understanding is that when my sister went to kindergarten, she knew both English and Korean and would sometimes speak Korean in class. And my mom went to the very first parent teacher conference and the teacher told my mom she needed to stop speaking Korean to her because it was very confusing. Hmm. So Korean culture is that you have very high respect and regard for teachers. And mm -hmm. I'm sure the teacher meant no harm in that. So my mom stopped talking Korean to my sister. So by the time I came along, it just wasn't spoken in the house. So right. my mom would speak Korean when she was infuriated and yelling at us. So then you knew you <laughs> were in this, trouble. <laughs> yes. And I can tell you all the words that she said. I have no idea what they mean and probably don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> the, the funny thing is, though, that that teacher was actually wrong because that is the age where, as a child, your brain is capable of learning and differentiating, you know, multiple languages the best. So. Oh, and absolutely. And my sister is is very intelligent. She was valedictorian of her graduating class. So it's not like she was a child that wouldn't have been able to comprehend. Because I think there may be some situations where it might be confusing to a child. But for my sister, I just don't see that that would have been the case. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, I have regrets that I got to live in Korea, but I, I knew almost nothing of the language. Yeah, I could see where that would be. You know, and then since I was on the military base, there were kids so much younger than me that were bilingual because that was just normal for mm -hmm. them to yeah. to know both languages. And I kind of felt sad when when I was in the army. One of my uh, guys that was in my unit, his wife was German, and she used to uh, babysit my oldest daughter. And we picked her up one day, and Misty was like, "Mom." Um, Miss Heike, she she got really upset. She started yelling at Jimmy in some strange language, and <laughs> you know it was it was German. And, yeah. <laughs> um. So after after a couple of months or so, um, Misty, when she was saying no, she quit saying no and started going nine. <laughs> just, you know, just just a simple aside, not, <laughs> not yeah. to take away from your story, but. Sort of no, and now that, that you're talking about it, I do remember like when my brother was a baby, she would sing to him in Korean. And once again, like I, I could, I could tell you all the words. I could sing you the song, but I will not ruin your podcast by doing so. But I have no idea what any of the words mean. So, right. well, yeah, a little disappointing that I, I kind of missed out on on that opportunity because I really think Mom would have loved for us to have been bilingual. Oh, I'm I'm sure she would have. That probably would have meant well a lot to her, obviously. But yeah, yeah. and I'm, then by the time I met my grandmother, I was in high school. My Korean grandmother, mm -hmm. she spoke no English, and I spoke no Korean. And if you can imagine having a family member that you've never met and you you want so badly to talk to, but you don't have the ability to communicate. So yeah, and 
that is one of the great things about um, modern technology is an example. My, uh, my brother for a while, he um, was dating uh, this lady and she was from uh, Southern Mexico mm-hmm. and she had immigrated here and her English was, was very broken because she hadn't been here very long. And they communicated when they were like sitting next to her, each other almost exclusively through messenger because messenger mm-hmm. will translate. So my brother would type it in English and then he would send oh. it and it would translate to her in Spanish. And then she would respond in Spanish and it would send it back to him in, um, in English. And so then they would, he would, you know, they would try to teach each other, you know, their, res- their respective uh, languages. Oh, that is that is really neat. I know mom and dad had like the Korean to English, English to Korean dictionaries. Um, so we would sometimes look at those as kids growing up because we were, we were, of course, curious mm-hmm. about mom's language. And then every once in a while, mom would get these care packages from Korea that stunk to high heaven because it had dried squid and seaweed. <laughs> You're like, whoa. All the weird things that they don't sell in the grocery store in Kansas. (laughs) Yeah. You you and your siblings were like, oh, and your mom's like, (laughs) woohoo. Well, I can sit there and eat dried squid and be okay with it. But yeah, it it, very distinct smells coming from the box. (laughs) That's that's funny and interesting. All it, you know, (laughs) that's fantastic. It's a unique memory that, you know, most Americans aren't going to have. So. Yeah. You're the but only person that was, you know, walks past something that smells like dried squid and you're like, oh, it reminds me of my younger years. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings to mind also kimchi because we always had a big garden growing up because mom, of course, needed to also eat kimchi with right. the rice dishes. So we would grow the bok choy and the Korean radishes and just a number of things. And then, you know, the regular fare for, you know, day-to-day eating the potatoes right. and the peppers. And then she would make big batches of kimchi and put them in gallon jars and they would ferment in the garage. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, good times. And I think if you've never had the pleasure of smelling kimchi, um, you don't know what you're missing. It is a bit pungent. It would probably be the equivalent to a, you know, the Germans have their sauerkraut. Right. Koreans have their kimchi. So I think if you grow up around it, it makes your mouth water. If you don't grow up around it, it's quite horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 No, my, um, my dad spent a year in Korea and, um, he said when he first got there, he wasn't sort of what you were talking about. He wasn't a fan, but I guess by the time he left after a year, he, he was okay with it. I don't think it was something that, you know, if there would have been a restaurant nearby, he would have gone to, but I think he was okay with it. <laughs> so I, I think it's an acquired taste. Um, I've, at this point, my husband is willing to eat some varieties of kimchi, but not all. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister's husband loves kimchi. Um, my brother is not a huge kimchi eater. So I, it's one of those you either love it or you hate it, but. Mm-hmm. The town I grew up in was mostly settled by Volga Germans, so I can eat a birok just as easily as I can a bowl of rice and kimchi. So <laughs> a, a brat and sauerkraut, and you're good to go. Yeah, so <laughs> I will. I can eat any of the stinky things. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so maybe um, prefer them even. Okay. Anyway, yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. So, how did your obviously your mom, you know, has been here for a considerable amount of time, but how did your mom feel about what really was sort of the rapid modernization of Korea? Because you know, Korea, well, during Mash, you know, was yeah. nowhere near like Korea is now. It's what is. I think the Korean economy is like the eighth largest economy in the world. And Seoul is just basically a miniature Tokyo. And most of the world's electronics, well, not most, but you know what I mean, Samsung and all of those are huge companies and they're Korean companies. Is that something that like your mom was proud of or? She never really talked about that too much. She has only been back to Korea twice since she's been to the United States. Once was in the 80s and I was seven and Mm -hmm. she spent most of the summer in Korea visiting family and I I remember that year particularly well because the Miss Universe pageant was held there and we were really hoping because we were young and stupid um, that we would get to see her in the audience at the Miss Universe pageant. <laughs> you know, she didn't have tickets to that. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were seven. So yeah, I was seven. So I just expected if she was going to be there, I could see her on the TV. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it was a hard summer being seven. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, That's always a tough year. <laughs> yeah, so I know she she went there and she visited her sisters and had a good time and did a lot of shopping. I think my dad was the one that was more shocked because when I lived there the year when my husband was in the military and we brought back all the pictures because, you know, he was stationed in the army, which is how mom and dad met. Mm-hmm. And he was he was mostly just surprised at how green and lush everything was because it was past the Korean War and I guess wartime had, you know, blown up a lot of the the trees and and it was pretty barren when he yeah. was there. So he was just interested in seeing how much the city had grown and and how everything was so lush. Because I will say that they take very good care of things there. Mm-hmm. There were some anti American riots the summer I was there and I, I remember leaving the apartment, going to peek around the corner to see these things, and... You're listening to the musings of an ADD Mind podcast. And there were the riot police and the tanks, and then by next morning, everything was all cleaned up. Oh, wow. So. Yeah, our, yeah. Our protesters need to do that. Regardless yeah. of what they're protesting for, you should leave the area you're protesting nicer than when you got there. I agree. I agree. It was it was just an interesting thing to see because um, yeah. it was all over the news that particular year. So I got to see it off to the side a little bit. Right. I think that I don't know if necessarily when someone immigrates or is the child of you know an immigrant if they are lucky enough to kind of get to go and spend a year in the country you know that their parents immigrated from that's really kind of cool that you were able to do that because a lot of time in the army when someone gets stationed in korea they go by themselves yeah and and my husband being in the army you know sometimes he would have like 
week-long guard duty or something. So I had a lot of time to just sort of go off and explore by myself. And like I said, I was like 18 and then 19. So I was very young, naive, had never lived in a big city. And growing up in a small town, we played outside and we played in the dirt and we had Tonka trucks and all that fun stuff. And mm. the, the day I just almost broke down and cried is there was a little boy out on the sidewalk in Seoul in front of a market and he had a tiny little dump truck and he was using his finger to scrape the dirt out of the crack of the sidewalk to put in his dump truck and I just cried because he didn't have dirt. <laughs> he did not have dirt to play in like I did. And uh so I also there was the the small town big city perspective that was just mind blowing to me and my cousin that lived there took us around and we we drove the countryside and went to I don't remember the name of the place but there was a cable car mm -hmm. that we could ride up in the mountains and just seeing the countryside and you know where I'm from just pastures full of cattle and we passed by one little farm and he had one cow and it was like tethered to a tree and it was you know it's just there's a huge difference in yeah. in their farm and our farm right yeah, that had to have been sort of odd for you. And you're like, Wait, yeah. this is not how a farm should be. No. And but, you know. It can be sort of a big deal to go from, you know, a small town to, you know, even a town as large as like Oklahoma City, which is what, the 45th largest town in the U.S.? And you grow up in some really small towns in Oklahoma and you move to Oklahoma City. It's a, a gigantic change. So it has to really be kind of a big change to go from small town to big place in foreign country. <laughs> yeah, well. Seoul was just mind blowing to me. Just the the going from wide open spaces to people setting up a shop that was no wider than a doorway. There was a little shopping district outside of where we lived called Itaewon, which was mostly catered to tourists so it was mostly gis and they, I, I think i've met russians and there were chinese and there were japanese but basically these merchants were this was where if you were a tourist you went to shop and oh. one shop was set up between two little shops and she sold earrings and and necklaces and it was so narrow you had to walk in sideways and you could look at what she had on the wall on that side and then you had to exit and then you had to go in the other direction to look at what, I mean, you couldn't turn around in there. Oh it was that um, they used every available space they could in the city. And when my uncle came to the United States, first of all, they landed in Denver, mm -hmm. which from where we lived was five hours away, which nothing is five hours away in Korea. It's a small country. <laughs> right. So that was pretty mind blowing to them that, like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And then we get to Kansas and he's like, you guys waste so much space here. <laughs> <laughs> we had a massive yard. Everybody has a big yard in small town, Kansas. So. Right. You're like, well, we got space to spare. Yeah. See, they build everything upward. We build everything outward. Yeah. Growing up in America. Well, for the most part, if you grow up in New York City, you probably have a different viewpoint. But for the most part, True. growing up in America, we don't necessarily realize how the rest of the world sort of has to deal with things. Yeah. Um, well, like I told you, my friend whose wife was German, her parents came to visit and their son fell backwards and he hit his head on the wall. And uh, her parents were kind of, you know, worried because 
where she was from in Germany, behind the like the plaster was rock, you know, stone. Mm-hmm. And so the, her parents were thinking that he just hit his head on stone. And, you know, here it's basically an empty cavity behind the drywall. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, and that's just something that we don't think about here because that's just how it is. Yes. And that brings another thought to mind while I was there because, you know, here people complain about you have to have building codes for everything. Mm-hmm. Over there, those really were non-existent. And I saw some really shady <laughs> construction, construction things going on. And I remember one day, like there was no power. And I know I ended up, I found out like the, the guy that was trying to fix whatever was going on with the power actually was electrocuted. So, oh but I saw like them stringing up like power lines. And if there was a tree there, they would just string it through the tree instead of putting up a pole. Right. So just people want to complain about regulation, but it really is there for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I remember when, when I was a senior in high school, I got in trouble by my uh, English teacher because mm-hmm. she was talking about how she thought it would have been great to live during the Renaissance time. And as somebody cool. that like loves history, I commented, why would you want to do that? It would have sucked back then. There was no air conditioning and everybody was sick and they stank. Nobody bathed. And I went on this rant about why would you want to live that? This is like the ideal time to live or possibly in the future because we have cars, air conditioning. You're not getting surgical work done by a barber, you know? Exactly. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I'm not one of those people that like things. Well, I wish I wasn't. No, I am happy to have been born in America in this time frame because I like air conditioning. I like having a refrigerator in my house. I like yes. being able to have a dog that I can treat like a baby. <laughs> yes. And uh, this also brings back a memory of pedestal toilets. We went to the uh, Guachon Zoo and they had pedestal toilets, which is, you know, a toilet like you and I are accustomed to using. And there was actually instructions on the wall on how to use such a toilet. Because if you go to the public toilet, let's say in the Korean subway system, it's like a urinal that's like embedded in the floor. So you have to learn how to squat over that. And uh, yeah. Yeah. That's how, when I got deployed to Kuwait, that's how it was half the bathroom. Cause there were um, workers that they brought in from India and I worked with them. So in the, in the latrine, half of them were holes in the floor and then the other half were, you know, pedestal stuff, you know, toilets. <laughs> and so yes. it was like, wait, what? <laughs> But it's a, uh, yeah, there was a learning curve because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not accustomed to that. <laughs> yeah, no, me neither. That, that's just one more reason why I like living in the time that I live now. Yes. In showers. In the time and the place that we live now. <laughs> Sometimes not so much on the place as I'm driving around. <laughs> True. With, with our neighbors. Which <laughs> <laughs> outnumber us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That, that's also a different show. Um, anyway. <laughs> but So how and when did you come to, you know, the great Sooner State of Oklahoma? Um, I came here in late 2009. Um, well, the, the short version of the story is I had been living in Tucson, Arizona. Then that housing bubble thing happened where the house that I bought for what I thought at the time was too much money was worth way more money than it should have been worth. So I sold my house and moved to Kansas where real estate was inexpensive. And then 
I, I just got a job in another small town in Kansas and my house was fully paid for, but then the economy sort of bottomed out. And I came here after that fallout because I lost my job because we, I worked for a company that sold products to other businesses and mm -hmm. other businesses at that time were struggling and our phones weren't ringing. So there were like three rounds of layoffs at the company that I worked at. And then finally it was my turn. So I had a classmate that was living here who told me that jobs were still plentiful in Oklahoma city. So I packed it up and moved here. Because yeah, Oklahoma City, really, the crash in 2008 didn't really hit Oklahoma till like 2010. Yeah. I it's like a lot of things in this state were just a little bit behind. Yeah. Well, I was happy to just, my choices at the time, if I would, would have stayed in Kansas, would have probably been working at a convenience store because those were literally the only place businesses really weren't hiring. So I, wow. I, I feel like I'm, I was made for a little better than you know, just right. selling fuel, <laughs> Yeah, which is an important job, I guess, but I don't know. You, I, you there weren't even jobs it. in the town I lived in. They were, I was in a very small town. I was driving 27 miles one way for my job. And I don't even think the gas station in my town was hiring. So I would have been driving 27 miles one way to work at a gas station. Oh, wow. So, yeah. That, that's just not feasible. Yeah, that's also small town in Kansas because a small town doesn't mean you have all the amenities. Um, right. The the one town I lived in didn't even have a full-time post office. It was only open a few hours a day and like four hours on Saturday. And and there were no restaurants and that town didn't even have a gas station. So there are some towns with no amenities. There was no grocery yeah. store. <laughs> yeah, that's so, um, my dad's parents when they retired from Arizona. They moved to this little teeny tiny town in Arkansas called Ozone, Arkansas. Hmm. And the post office was a little basically shed almost <laughs> that was across the street from my grandpa's house. And yeah. um, he was a, he was a postal office employee. And every day at six o'clock, he went and locked the door. <laughs> <laughs> and and that, that was his job. I, I don't know if he got paid, but he actually had to be hired to do that, I guess, because <laughs> hmm. I guess you have to be okay. an employee to lock the door. <laughs> and All right. My my grandpa would say, "Honey, I'm off to work." Walk across the street, come back, "Honey, I'm <laughs> home. What's for dinner?" <laughs> yeah, when I lived in that particular town, I was on one corner, and then the post office. I could walk through my neighbor's backyard to get to the post office. Next to that was Sunny's Bar and Grill, which was really the only place you could get food. Mm -hmm. um, they had a really terrible hamburger. It actually maybe wasn't bad. And then next to that was a place that made beef jerky. And they actually sold that beef jerky in, in the convenience stores around Kansas. So, mm. And those were all the businesses in the town. And they were all on the block that I lived on. Wow. Yeah. yeah that's. I think that particular town was population 400. Nice. That's yeah. Nice big town. It's quiet, but everything's a drive. Yeah. So I know your your mom moved to Oklahoma City. She, well, she lives here now, so I know at some point she did. Um, yes. Do you have like other family members that are that followed you to the great Sooner State? 
Uh, I do not. Mom ended up moving to Maryland after dad passed away because she has sisters there. And she Mm -hmm. just decided after spending so much of her adult life in Kansas that big city life was not for her. So Mm -hmm. uh, when she saw Oklahoma City, I think it best matched what she was used to. Because I Mm -hmm. think Oklahoma City, while it's a bigger city, is pretty spread out and has all the seasons and and mm-hmm. so i think she felt more comfortable here so yeah oklahoma city is like i mean it is a large town when you count the whole metro area but it still has yes. a like a small town quality to it yes which so, I, I, which i, I, I think is why yeah. i like it here so much because you know i like all the amenities of being in a city but i don't really I used to have to go back and forth between Tucson and Phoenix, and people would laugh when I called Tucson the city, but when I saw what that was compared to Phoenix, mm-hmm. Tucson really was a smaller town, because Phoenix yeah. was just, I couldn't wait to get out of there. Yeah. Um, my dad actually graduated from Floyd Wells High School in Tucson, Arizona. I love the Tucson area. So, yeah, my uh, my dad's parents met in a tuberculosis sanitarium. Oh, yeah, how many people owe their life to TB? Me, my, you know, and the people that are descended from my my grandparents. <laughs> that that's not yeah. common. And when my yep. dad was like, I guess he was like eight or nine, uh, they moved to Arizona because at the time they thought the dry climate, you know, would help with you know their lungs and everything. And so yeah, he he grew up in hmm. Tucson. I loved it there. So that's probably where I'll go to retire. That or New Mexico. That, yeah, both of those are probably all right. I I will probably retire to Colorado because that's where two of my three children live. Uh-huh. You know, I might want to be around them. I don't know. You know how it is. Maybe. With, sometimes I like them. Now that they're not doing yard work for me, what's really the point? <laughs> well, as you get older, your needs will change and evolve. So keep that's that in true. mind. Yeah, I know. I just, everybody knows, <laughs> my son and daughter have both been guests on the show by the time this airs you would have you would have heard them and you know that i'm just kidding yes but, i know you're kidding i know you love your children yes yes i do but i just think you know that that's a your story is a really cool story and where you could have had a situation where you grew up in a small town a lot of times in small towns people aren't as awesome and you didn't have that and that's fantastic and that's the way it should be everywhere yeah and that's awesome yeah i think fortunately the family went through all of the were different kind of growing pains before I came along because I think I mean I remember one particular bully that used to call us names but in every childhood situation there's going to be a bully and I don't yeah. think it matters it could it could have been for any other reason right and he wasn't really other than name calling didn't do anything in particular and my sister's friend was with us who was a white girl and he included her in the, the name calling too. So yeah, that's <laughs> the thing about bullies. They're usually equal opportunity. They, yes. they take the time to pick on everybody. So yeah, a bully's a bully and it doesn't matter. So yeah, I think he got his comeuppance in high school. So <laughs> I think everybody got yeah. a little sick of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eventually with a bully, there's going to be the, uh, the Christmas story moment where someone gets mad and they jump on you and start beating the crap yeah. out of you. And mom has to come and pull you off on them of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's pop culture references are just going to happen. 
Yeah, no, I think that's, that's awesome. And I know that, you know, really, I know that in terms of the community, you really, really like Oklahoma City and you do a lot. I know you've done a lot community-wise and try to make the, the city a better place. And that's fantastic. And I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, I really feel like Oklahoma City sort of really is my home now. Like, I don't, I just, I, I it's, it's made me happy. There's just a lot of, I don't know. It's a very homey place. I can't imagine living anywhere else. Right. Yeah, no, I understand Oklahoma City and Oklahoma does have it flaw, hit its flaws. All places do. Um, yes. I really, for the most part, like living here. You know, for the most part, if they're shopping or food places, we have it. The last 10 years, the restaurant scene, local ownership restaurants, you know, with local chefs yes. really exploded. We have some amazing places to eat here that even 15 years ago, you couldn't do that. It was all, you know, chain restaurants. And that is not case here at all now. And for the most part, people are friendly and, you That's know, true. I enjoy it. And we, there are amenities. And if I chose to step out of my house, I could do them. Yes. You know, but I'm a homebody. I'm have become quite the homebody in the last couple of years. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, the, the pandemic started in two months in and I'm like, I don't really notice a change. Yeah. And that is something that I will say pandemic wise. When I was living there in Korea in 1990 or 91, whatever year that was, mm -hmm. that you would see people on the subway wearing a mask and it was not an uncommon thing. And what I learned is exactly what they're trying to tell us during this pandemic is like that person feels like they may or may not be coming down with a cold. So they are doing that to protect others from from something that they may transmit and i just right. that is just something in their culture so i i just don't understand why it can't be adopted during the pandemic yeah no i i agree do i enjoy walking around the grocery store wearing a mask no i don't no but do i, I do i enjoy being sick no i don't no and you know I w i'll wear one for purely selfish reasons but on top of it, if I did have something, I would I would feel horrible if I knew yeah. that I was the reason someone my mother's age yeah. got sick and died. Correct. I, you know, live in a house full of immunocompromised individuals, so I'm going to do what I can to protect myself and others. Yeah, it's very noble. I oh. appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've had a a pretty good conversation. It's been nice hearing your story and getting to know you better because it's not typical stuff when you're talking with somebody that you get to hear about growing yeah. up in a small town, Kansas and getting to spend a year in Korea. So I've really enjoyed our talk and I hope you've enjoyed our talk. And I did. I did enjoy our talk. I appreciate you asking me and um, hopefully I didn't bore any of your listeners to death with my I grew up in small town Kansas story. <laughs> if, if they could get through my first episode on QAnon and they're still listening, you did not bore them. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm actually looking forward to listening to that episode, so I will stay tuned. <laughs> it it was a it was a tough one to sort of narrow down to like an hour because there's so much involved in that. Yes. It's so all encompassing. <laughs> There's a reason there are podcasts dedicated to it. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So I I appreciate you taking time out of a Saturday to do this, and 
you know, I do try to work my schedule around Oklahoma football during the fall, but it was a pay-per-view event and I wasn't going to pay-per-view. So I appreciate gotcha. you, uh, you talking to me during this, this time of intense sadness of not getting to watch Oklahoma football on a Saturday in September. So. Okay. And for me, that was not a consideration because I don't follow football. Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. Thank you, Debbie, for coming on the show. And just as always, thanks everybody for listening. And remember to try to live your life in a way that would make Mr. Rogers proud.